The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Everyone, uh, welcome to our adult Sunday school class. It's uh, time for us to get started. And uh, beautiful Lord's Day. It's good to see each of you. And uh, we have the privilege of having uh, uh, Pastor Rob Ventura with us. Uh, as he, as he said, uh, he is my long-standing friend. <laughs> You can tell by where the mic is that that's the case, and uh, he's going to be taking our adult Sunday school class, and uh, he'll be preaching the morning and evening, and he, he was our, our guest preacher for our ladies' conference, and uh, the theme of the ladies' conference was spiritual warfare, and he's going to be carrying that on into uh, the messages today, and it was, the Lord really blessed those messages, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what else he has to say. Just to give you a little introduction to him, most of you know him, he's been here. Uh, Rob is, uh, he's one of the first graduates of Reformed Baptist Seminary going way back, uh, not long after the school, early days of the school, and he's one of the pastors of Grace Community Baptist Church of North Providence, Rhode Island. Been there for a number of years now. Uh, how long has it been now? 15 years, and He's also been involved in authoring and editing a number of books or co-authoring as well, co-author of Portrait of Paul and Spiritual Warfare. He, uh, you know, Jeremy, many of you know Jeremy Walker. He's co-author with Jeremy Walker of uh, Portrait of Paul, and then he and Brian Borgman are co-authors of the book Spiritual Warfare that we've been promoting uh, in, during this week. And uh, another number of other another number of other things that he's been involved in in that regard. He has a commentary on Romans that's about to come out, uh, published by Mentor Publications. But one of the things I'm really excited it's about to come out is uh, a new exposition of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And he's he's been the one who's pushed this, the editor, and uh, we have a good publisher. And a number of Reformed Baptist pastors have written chapters. And this is going to be a very hefty book that's going to actually have an exposition of every phrase of the Confession of Faith, something that I think will be very useful for pastors and lay people and for generations to come. And God willing, that will be coming out in October. So anyway, he, he and his wife Vanessa and family live in Rhode Island, and uh, he has his son, one of his sons with him here, Sam, and uh, they're kind of taking a little vacation together while they're down as well and welcome him among us uh, as well. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then Pastor Ventura will take it from there. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we come before you, it is the beginning of another Lord's Day, and we first of all, as we reflect upon the past week, we thank you for your preserving grace and your faithfulness to us. Lord, in spite of our sins and our weaknesses, you have preserved us and kept us even unto this day. We thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sins as we walk in the light and confess our sins. And we do pray that you would help us, Lord, to uh, have a fresh uh, sense of the reality of the forgiveness of sins through the gospel. Help us fresh to lay hold upon Christ as our Savior, our mediator today, and to draw from him all of the grace and strength that we need today that we might fully profit uh, from this special day that you've given to us. And we do count it as a, as a delight. We thank you that we can lay aside all of the busyness and distractions of our ordinary affairs of life, and give ourselves today to the worship of your name, the hearing of your word, and the fellowship of the saints. These things are dear to us and precious to us who are your people, 
And we thank you so much for this day. And now we ask for our brother that you would help him, that you would warm his heart. We pray, Father, that you would loosen his tongue and that your spirit would enable and equip and empower him to bring your word with clarity to us. And we pray, Father, that you would give us receptive hearts, that we would receive your word in good soil, and that it would bring forth fruit in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you here this day. And uh, this morning, I invite you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue our studies through this very significant portion of Holy Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, picking up in verse 15, and I'll read to verse 16 in your hearing. Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 15, and as you're turning there in your Bibles, again, I'm very thankful to be among you. It's been a real privilege, always an honor to minister God's word here. Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 15, Paul writes the following, by the direction and aid of the Holy Spirit, saying, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Dear ones, let's once again pray and ask the Lord's blessings on our time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do come to you this morning in that mighty and magisterial name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're so thankful, Lord, that for many in this place we have been recipients of your wonderful salvation. We thank you, Lord, again, that you are no respecter of persons, and that out of every tribe, nation, tongue, and kindred, you will have a people who glorify your name. And we would seek to do that this day, O oh God, through our considerations of who you are and what you've done for us through the gospel. And Lord, as we come to this topic at hand for this day, we're asking that you would give us special help from on high. O oh God, that you would leave us not to ourselves, but condescend to meet with us where we, were at, where we are at. Lord, that you would strengthen us in the inner man and do us good, that you would build us up in our most holy faith and keep us safe from the evil one. Lord, we look to you regarding all of these things and we pray them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the a well-known story of the Trojan horse. The account goes that rather than attack the city of Troy directly, Greek soldiers built a huge hollow wooden horse and left it in front of the gates of the city. Well, we're told that in thinking that the horse was left as a gift for them, that the Trojans brought it inside the city walls to admire it. However, when they fell asleep, the story goes that the Greeks crept out of their hiding place inside the horse and they took the entire city by surprise, destroying it, thus decisively ending the war. Well, in tying this familiar story to the topic of spiritual warfare, you know, brethren, sometimes this is how the devil himself operates towards us. Yes, sometimes he, as it were, attacks us from behind, and other times he attacks us from the front. However, regardless of the way that he does this, he always does it 
when and where we least expect him to do this, just as the Greeks did from their wooden horse. Well, because this is so, I say that as Christians, you and I must always be sure that we are never careless with reference to the great enemy of our souls. Dear ones, I say that if you and I ever underestimate the power of our spiritual enemy, you and I will put ourselves in a most precarious position, spiritually speaking. Thus, I totally agree with the Puritan Thomas Brooks when he said that although the subject of Satan is quite unpleasant to consider, nevertheless, along with Christ, the scriptures, and our own hearts being among the primary things which ought to be studied out by us, so also it is to be with the subject of Satan. Now thankfully, even though the devil is a real foe against you and I as Christians, we can have great confidence knowing that ultimately the security of our souls are safe in Christ. Yes, thankfully, even though there are many battles that you and I must still engage with him, nevertheless, in the final analysis, we can rejoice knowing that the devil is a defeated foe over our lives since Christ has redeemed our souls at Calvary. Therefore, I like to say that in spiritual warfare, you and I are not fighting for victory. No, rather, we are fighting from victory. Not fighting for victory, but from victory. Glory be to God. Well, even though this is the case, as I said a moment ago, you and I must always be alert since the great enemy of our souls is still very much alive and kicking. You see, church, in view of the fact that the Bible portrays us who are Christians not as pilgrims at ease on our way to heaven, but rather as soldiers engaged in a heated combat, you and I must always be alert lest Satan take advantage of us. Now, having said this, we need to ask the question, which is, what are the things that we must regularly do so that we are always prepared to meet this most formidable foe? In other words, since the devil spares no pains to make our lives miserable, what can we do in order to stand against him so that we can be encouraged for the days and the months and the years to come? Well, this, of course, is one of the main reasons why we've been considering this whole matter of spiritual warfare as set forth in this chief passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Here, in this very unique chapter in the Bible, we're given in no uncertain terms how it is that you and I can have victory over the diabolical attacks of the evil one, and this specifically by you and I putting on the whole armor of God, which God himself richly supplies us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, having seen in a 
previous message. The first two pieces of our armor that we are to clothe ourselves with, namely the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Come with me now for this morning to note first from verse 15 of this chapter, our third piece of spiritual covering, which like all of the others, must be biblically understood and applied by us if we are going to stand strong against our enemy. Now that verse 15 here begins with the word and, you see it there in your Bibles, shows us that what Paul is about to say here with reference to our feet is definitely connected to his main command in the previous verse. This word and, the Greek word chi, is a joining word. And so we ask, what's the main thing that it's joined to from verse 14 of this chapter? Well, as uh, some of you will recall, no doubt most of you ladies, what it's connected to from 14a is the command to stand. It's the command to stand. Simply stated as Christians, we are to constantly hold our ground as spiritual soldiers in Jesus' army, not letting the devil push us around one bit through his lies and various deceptions which can come to us through a whole host of ways. And so, having commanded us to stand in the previous words, 14a, Interestingly enough, Paul now speaks about our feet. Having called us to hold our position continually, having told us to continually hold on to all that Christ has won for us through his cross work on our behalf, he tells us now how we are to do this in a third way when he says, look at the words with me again in your Bibles, he writes saying that we do this having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, quite plainly, dear brothers and sisters here this day, once again, Paul is drawing another spiritual analogy for Christian warfare from the literal gear that the soldiers wore in his day, having already drawn spiritual analogies for us, from the belt and the breastplate of the soldier, now Paul, by the direction and aid of the Holy Spirit, is going to speak about their shoes. Now, what you need to know in the outset of our consideration from this next piece of armor is that along with the belt and the breastplate, proper footwear for the first century Roman fighter was also absolutely vital. Now, why do I say this? Well, I do so because at this time in history, soldiers were often involved in close-range, hand-to-hand combat. This is how their wars went down in these times. Thus, it was absolutely essential for them to be sure-footed, and this is because if they slipped on the ground during combat, Due to inadequate footwear, they could absolutely hasten their demise. Now, regarding the matter of the shoes that the fighters wore at this time, scholars tell us that they were leather half boots or sandals which were tied up with straps to their ankles, these 
Shoes gave a fighter great mobility in fights, and interestingly enough, these shoes were lined underneath with nails, much like the athletes wear in our days with their cleats that they put on their feet, which, again, like a soldier, would provide them a firm grip to the ground. Now, of course, concerning the fighter himself, without such footwear, he would never ever be ready for battle. I mean, surely he would never be able to withstand uh, the attacks of an enemy as he came to him. And so in view of this, we ask, what's Paul's main point here concerning this whole matter with reference to the spiritual battles that you and I will most surely face with the devil? I mean, as he speaks here, about us having our feet shod, or more literally, underbound with the preparation of the gospel of peace, what is Paul's point? Well, simply stated, if you're taking notes, his point is that if you and I are going to stand well in our spiritual battles with Satan, then we must be sure that along with everything else that we've considered in the previous messages, that as believers we have good spiritual shoes on our feet so that we will have a sure footing in this great fight of all fights. Brethren, the point is that just as a Roman soldier needed proper footwear to do well in all of his combat, so also... Spiritually speaking, you and I must have the same, which footwear here is identified by Paul in the second half of the verse, again, as the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this particular phrase here, the preparation of the gospel of peace, or more literally, the readiness of the gospel, which has as its content peace, has been variously understood by the Bible commentators. This language basically has been understood in two ways, meaning first, that as believers, you and I must be ready to go on the offensive in spiritual warfare so that in the language of Romans chapter 10, with beautiful feet, we carry the gospel of peace to the lost around us so that they might be saved and delivered from Satan's tyranny. Or, secondly, as other scholars suggest, this language here means that as Christians, you and I must always be prepared to stand defensively against the devil whenever he attacks us. And this, by you and I being firmly rooted in the truths of the gospel, which gives us peace when Satan would seek to do us harm. And so, as we think about this particular phrase in view, in this particular context, what's the best way to understand Paul's language here? In other words, should we understand it as a reference to our readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace to the lost around us, or as a readiness which comes from the gospel in order to give us peace who are already saved. Well, while certainly we could say that in a sense Paul's words here could be speaking 
about us being heralds to the unsaved around us, being God's heavenly footmen to them. However, I think that in this setting here, it seems better to me that because our verse is connected to verse 14 of this chapter, where we were told not to go forth, but rather to stand, that what Paul is actually speaking about here is that of us as Christians having the good news of salvation, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord, as that which always undergirds and supports us in the midst of all of our spiritual engagements with the devil. Now, here is where you and I, who are believers, must be freshly reminded that just as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful means for delivering the lost from Satan's clutches, it is also a very powerful means for stabilizing us as saints in the midst of spiritual warfare. It is also this as well, dear friends. I mean, brethren, never forget, as we considered uh, some of us a few days ago, that the devil is in fact the accuser of the brethren. And never forget that he's the one who ever lives to make our lives miserable with his lies and his accusations, etc. And so in view of these things, the grand question is, what are you and I to do in times like these? The question is, how do we stand successfully against this evil being? Well, the answer is, if you're taking notes, we do it with the gospel of peace. The answer is, we do it by preaching the gospel of peace to ourselves. That's how we do it. Now, having said this, it's easy to say. What does it look like, practically speaking? In other words, what does this look like in action? Well, simply stated, it goes like this. When the devil seeks to plague our consciences with guilt or whatever else it might be, even after you and I have sincerely confessed our sins to the Lord and to others, if need be, in the church, brethren, the point is that at that time, You and I are to remember that because we are told in the gospel that God, in fact, has reconciled us to himself through Christ, we could therefore, in truth, claim the words of 1 John 1 and verse 9, which says that if we confess our sins to God, he is not only faithful, but just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does the gospel of peace work in times like this? This is how it works. Uh, Friends, practically speaking, the matter goes like this. When the devil seeks to condemn us by bringing up our old sins and our faults, even after we've repented of them, what are you and I to do? Well, you and I are to remember the comprehensive truths of the gospel, which tell us, for example, that because Christ died for our sins and rose again on our behalf, that we have been forgiven forevermore, justified, and adopted into God's family, and nothing, no, nothing will ever change his glorious reality. Can anyone say amen? 
That's what we are to do with reference to the gospel because as we do it, the gospel brings us peace. It brings us arene. It brings us shalom. It brings us wholeness to our hearts when Satan would seek to accuse us. And so here then is how the gospel, which at its core is all about peace, is to operate in our lives in times like these. To state the matter another way, listen. When Satan's spiritual bombs are exploding all around us and his bullets of accusations are flying over our heads, dear ones, this is where you and I are to rehearse the glad tidings of the Bible to ourselves which say, for example, that regardless of what the devil whispers in our ears, that because of Jesus' death in our place, the God of the Bible is for us and nothing will ever change that fact. That's what we are to do. So here then are some real grounds of encouragement for us as the people of God, right? Here's some grounds for rejoicing. Here, dear brethren, here this morning is how our gospel shoes work to support us when our enemy comes in like a flood. And so, in view of this, I must pause to ask all of you here this day, my dear friends, what shoes are you wearing? Let me see them. I want to see them back there. Let me see them. What shoes are you wearing today? You there with the glasses. What shoes are you wearing? This is what Paul teaches us. So let's answer the question. What shoes are we wearing? I ask, are you wearing the shoes of the good news of God's love for you in Jesus Christ the Lord? Or... Are you wearing shoes which are covered with the dirt that the devil has been throwing at you all week? What shoes are you wearing, my friend? What shoes are you wearing? Dear ones, please listen to me when I say that if you want to stand securely in the Savior so that you don't slip and fall under Satan's attacks, then you must always be sure that you have the gospel undergirding your entire life. You must always be sure that your souls are being saturated in the good news concerning your relationship with the Almighty through the doing and the dying and the rising of Jesus Christ our Lord. For in doing this, dear Christian, you will stand securely all of your days. And so, Having seen our third indispensable piece of spiritual armor for our battles with the devil, come with me next to consider in verse 16 our fourth piece of the armor, which Paul says is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now obviously, once again, uh, Paul here is uh, using a metaphoric language. He's using a military imagery to teach us vital principles Again, for how we are to stand against the devil. Here as he thinks about the soldier in his day and 
what he employed in natural warfare, he recalled that he had a large door-like wooden shield that was used to protect him from various objects, such as swords and clubs and fire-tipped arrows, etc. And so, in view of this, again, Paul is drawing another spiritual analogy for us. Now, concerning the shield in view, commentators say that unlike the lightweight round a shield that was very popular in the first century. The shield being spoken of here in our passage measured about four to six feet in length, and it was about three feet wide. And in battle, a soldier could uh, duck behind it quite easily and be thoroughly protected. And so, in calling forth this imagery, what do we see here? Well, if you're taking notes, here's what we see. What we see is that the apostle is comparing faith to a protective shield. Faith to a protective shield. You see, here he says that as this type of shield fully covered the soldier in combat, the literal shield, so also, spiritually speaking, faith protects us in the same way for whatever the devil might throw at us. Now, faith, as you know, no doubt, is one of the most important words in the Bible. And it's certainly one of the richest words in Paul's own vocabulary. Faith is that which gives us victory over the world, as the Apostle John tells us. 1 John chapter 5. And in Romans 1 and verse 17, Paul says that the just shall live by faith. That's how we live. Now by Paul saying here in the beginning of verse 16, that above all, you see the language there, Above all, we are to take up the shield of faith, or we might say the shield which is faith. He probably means to emphasize that if all of our spiritual defenses are to work well, then faith must be operative in us. Here, the point seems to be that he's saying that in all situations, this must be the case. Faith must be operative in us. So the question that we must ask is this. What exactly is the faith that the apostle speaks of here, which is to be a shield for us? In other words, what is the faith or the trust and conviction which will most surely help us against the various assaults of Satan, such as unholy thoughts, atheism, blasphemy, pride and worry, etc.? Well, clearly, uh, the faith which will protect us in times like these is that faith which wholly rests in and upon God and his word, regardless of how things might look, feel, or even seem. Brethren, the faith in view here is the faith or the reliance which wholeheartedly believes God and believes the Lord Jesus Christ, believes in them and all that they've said, clinging to their words in the scripture with all that they've got. Now, dear ones, please hear me when I say that it is this type of faith which will make you and I invincible in the day of trial. In opposition to us, believing what the devil might say to us with all of his lies, if you and I have a firm persuasion of and an unwavering trust in God and in Christ and all the promises of his word, 
then we will always have a spiritual shield about us of which nothing, underscore it, nothing will be able to penetrate. Now this is exactly what Paul says in these words in 16b of our chapter, right? I mean, look at it again. Here, he does not say that as we take up the shield of faith, we might, look at the language, be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, no. Nor does he say that this would be a good possibility. No. Rather, he says, look it, we will be able to do this. Not a possibility, not a hypothetical scenario, but we will be able to do this. And so, what do we see here? Well, what we see is that according to Paul, a true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in God and everything that God has said to us in Scripture, will not only repel the deadly spiritual arrows of the devil, but it will also effectively douse and destroy all of them. Glory be to God. Well, because this is so. Practically speaking, you and I need to ask this morning, how can we keep our faith active? I mean, how can you and I, who live in a world that is full of cynicism and skepticism on every side, doubts against God and his word, how can we keep our trust in God and in his word at its highest level? Well, let me suggest five ways that you and I can do this. Five ways. And the first is by regularly sitting under the preached word of God in a Bible-believing church, for as Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so when you come to church on Sunday every week, as I trust you all do, there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. What God is doing for you here on Sunday, you say, oh, it's good that I go to church, I bring my kids, it's all good, we hear the word of God, that's excellent that's true but dear brothers and sisters here this day there is so much more going on than this god is building your faith god is making you strong in the things of himself and his son so that you might stand securely against satan application never miss church Whenever the doors are open, be here. If you value your souls, this is going to be not an option for you. Oh, we're going today, we're not going today. Kids saying, I wonder if we're going to church today. Are you kidding me? That's where we're going. That's what we do in this house. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. That's what we do. We're going to church. Not just for fellowship, as good as that is, but we're going so that we can be taught and our faith could be enhanced and we could grow in the things of the Lord Jesus Christ so that in fact when the evil day comes and the devil seeks to attack us, It'll be those things that we learned hours on end, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, which will help you and I to stand strongly against the devil. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Secondly, brethren, we keep our faith active by privately spending time each and every day with the Lord in the word of God. Not just corporately, but privately. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 1, the blessed man who grew and grew and grew. So are you in the practice of having devotions every single day? Do you say, no read, no read, I've got to read first, no read, no feed. Got to read before I feed myself. No read, no feed, no Bible, no breakfast. Now, some of you say, well, I have devotions at night. That's okay, you could repent of that later. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. Especially you mothers, I know sometimes it's hard to have devotions in the morning with the children, I get it. But listen, the psalmist said, early I will seek thee. Okay? And again, I'm not going to make that as a a rule that has to be at this time. But whenever it is, brethren, listen, I never leave my bedroom in the morning without first seeking God. There's no way. This is not an option for me. The stakes are too high. And I'm just not playing games in this regard. I've lived long enough as a Christian, 30 years saved, to see a lot of professing believers fall by the wayside. But what does John say in his epistles? He says, you men are strong. Why? Because the word of God abides in you and the devil has no chance against you, essentially. It's because the word of God abides in you. And we need to get the word of God in us. And as we read the word of God every day, again, we think, oh, this is good. I'm learning. All that's good. But there's more going on. God is increasing our faith in himself. Thirdly, brethren, We increase our faith by investing time with Christ in prayer every single day. Again, so basic. But I tell you, friends, the battle is won in the basics. That's how it's won. The basics of the Christian life. It's good we come and we learn and we're taught all kind of nice things and high theology. And we love all that stuff. That's great. We're to learn the whole counsel of God. It's excellent. Good that we're hearing about those things most surely believed among us. But brethren, listen, at the end of the day, with reference to the Christian life, the battle is won in the basics. The basics. Being at church every Sunday, reading the word of God every day, and praying to the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Praying to our Heavenly Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking Christ, John 15, for he is... The vine who nourishes us, the branches. He increases our faith as we spend time with him. And fourthly, we increase our faith by fellowshipping with other believers. We'll have time to do that today. right? We build one another up in our most holy faith. That's what happens. Thus, our times together of fellowship ought to be uh, not just talking about, hopefully not sports, especially on Sunday, but... um, but, but the things of God. And yes, we might ask, hey, how was your week and all of that? I get that. We're human beings. That's okay. But can we move beyond those things that are just so basic and, as it were, carnal and natural to others? How's your soul? What are you reading? How's your Bible study going? How can I pray for you? Keep things spiritual. We want to be as iron sharpening iron. Inquiring about the faith of your brethren. How are things going with your soul? Fifthly and finally, we increase our faith 
by keeping a good conscience with God. Dear ones, please hear me when I say that if you and I are not living holy before God, if we are living in sin and hypocrisy, hence we don't have a good conscience, it'll absolutely hinder our faith in the Lord our God and in his word. This will be a huge hole in our armor that the devil will definitely seek to take an opportunity to strike a blow against us. Therefore, I say, church, that if there's any stain on your conscience at all, you must get right with God quickly. But what a, a motive this is to repent of your sins and to confess them to the Lord your God. Because again, if we don't keep our consciences clean, this is the road to apostasy. And the devil knows, oh, that Christian is not walking right with God. They're not confessing their sins. They're not repenting daily. That's an easy target for me. They're already helping me, the devil says, as it were, to lead them astray. So we need to keep our consciences pure. Anything on your conscience this morning that's bothering you, something you've done that you know you should not have done, a sin you've committed, a sin you're in right now, repent of the thing, friend. Get right with God. Why? Because you don't want to make yourself susceptible to Satan in any way, shape, or form. He's looking for chinks in our armor. Don't allow him to see chinks in your armor. Well, may the Lord help us then in this regard. May he give us all much grace in light of all that I've been saying, especially under this Second heading now, for surely, as one Puritan rightly said, quote, if we keep our faith, it will keep us. But if that fails, we will certainly fall. And so may the Lord give us much grace with reference to these things. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are in need of your help and your grace. We are thankful that we can always look to you for these things because you are our heavenly Father. And if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more you, O God, being glorious, how much more do you know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him for it? Oh God, Help your people this day. Be with us. Strengthen us. And help us to obey all that we've considered in this first session this morning. And for all of these things, we will praise and bless your most wonderful name. We ask them all through that exalted name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.